Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So we behave based on what we believe. So some people believe in in Santa. We probably don't have anybody in here that believes in Santa, hopefully not. Um, So if you believe in Santa, then uh, what you will possibly do on Christmas Eve is put out some, some milk and cookies for, for Santa because you want to make him happy and you want him to leave you even more stuff. And so we never really made a big deal of that, like with, with our kids. Like we, we didn't play up Santa because we didn't want to later have to tell him, oh yeah, he's not real and we've been lying to you all this time. So we didn't really play him up. But when it came to putting out milk and cookies on Christmas Eve, we did not discourage that because... Somebody needs to eat the the cookies and not let them go to waste. And so, you know, we just kind of let that go. And so, but the the other behavior piece with Santa is that some parents use Santa as leverage with their kids to say, now, you you better watch out. You know, you better be good. And so at least maybe a week or two leading up to Christmas, at least there's some leverage there for kids to behave better if they believe that Santa is going to reward them or not based on their behavior. So, you know, our behavior flows out of what we believe. I I would suspect that many of us in this room, many of us who are watching online, probably would say that we believe Romans 8.28. So Romans 8.28, a precious promise for many of us. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I think many of us would say, we believe that, we hold on to that promise. But here's the question, how do you behave when life is not going so well, when life is not going so good, and it doesn't seem like God is at work in your life doing something good, when when the bottom drops out of some plan that you have been making, when God takes someone from your life that you have been really relying on. When, when something unexpected happens, is your reaction to pause and in faith say, well, I, I know and I believe that God is gonna work this somehow for good. I'm, I'm not saying that it's not hard and there's not a grief process in that. I'm not saying that everything is all, like you're just all rosy and everything and in denial, but I'm saying that when, when those things happen, is our automatic reaction, okay, this is okay. This change in direction, this curveball that's happening for me is okay because I know that God is working behind the scenes. I, I, for me, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's the case, not always the case. And so our, our, faith, um, our, our faith and our confidence and what we believe is shown out, borne out, in how we behave. Romans, as we are studying in the book of Romans, the the book of Romans insists on a core belief that that we hold, 
and it is found in Romans 1.17. And yes, I'm gonna give you a quiz. This is the hardest quiz so far. If you're new this morning, then you're exempt from this quiz. But everybody else who has been here over the last several weeks, I want you to fill in the blanks on, on this verse, okay? See, this is the hardest one. We got three blanks in here right from the get-go. So I'm gonna get you started. The one who by is, shall, oh, wow, okay, this is, oh, wow, I feel good. All right, that's, that's good. Now, I want you to notice something before we go on and fill in all these blanks up here on, on the screen. Um, this occurred to me this week that there's three, like, little couplets here. I, I, I don't memorize things very well, so I need to give myself every advantage to, to memorizing things. And so if you notice here, you, know, you have the intro here, the one who, but then you've got two words, two words, two words. So if you can keep that in mind, it's like, okay, you know, this is easier to remember. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. You could go ahead, uh, Barb, and fill in those blanks. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. So as we've been seeing, it's not the one who by effort is righteous, and righteous meaning right with God. So right with God judicially, legally, that he has... He has wiped our stained record and made it clean. So we're right with God legally, right with God relationally. He brings us into his family. The way we get right with God is not by our effort, but it is by faith, and it is by faith in Christ as we continue seeing in in Romans. And the result of that is we will live. This is real life. Okay, this is what God is promising to us. When we really believe that, it will change the way we behave. The things that we believe from, from Scripture are not just like, okay, now I've just got a different set, of, a different mindset, I've just got a different set of things that, that I say I ascribe to. They should be transforming and changing our lives. And so your life and my life, if we really believe this, like from this year to 10 years from now, our life should look pretty different in terms of, of how we believe and how we follow the, the Lord. Even, even from now to a year, even from now to next month. Now, it's harder to see. It's so sometimes so small and incremental that we don't see it on the short term. But over the long term, we should really be seeing change happen in our lives. And actually, our behavior becomes a tool to tell us whether or not we actually believe especially particularly when we are under stress. And so, you know, the the whole idea of when you take an orange and squeeze it, what comes out is what's really inside. So when we are squeezed in life, when we are under stress, what comes out is where we're actually at. We don't have time in the moment of stress to kind of put on a face and put on a veneer and try to make ourselves look good. That's what's coming out. And so over time, that response should be progressing. And so what we're gonna talk about this morning, we're gonna kind of see how we're doing in terms of how we believe this verse because we're gonna look at three behaviors that should change in us as a result of believing this verse. Whether or not we actually believe that it is by faith that we are made right with God. We're gonna kind of do some self-evaluation here this morning. If you take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter three. 
If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there are some there on the seats. And Romans 3 is on page 1042. We're actually finishing chapter 3 in Romans this morning. If you're new, we're, we're in a series this year working our way through this letter to the Romans. And if you're new this morning, good for you because you missed a, over a month of bad news that, that the rest of us were, were really working through. Last week, we got to the good news. And so if you're new, um, you can catch up on everything. We, we really are building week after week. And so you can catch up um, online, we have a Romans Hub page. If you go to gracepointpa.org slash Romans, we have a lot of resources on there for you, and you can find all the uh, past messages listed there and, and to listen to as well. The text that we're looking at today gives us a review of the good news that we introduced last week, and then it goes into the behaviors that should change in us as a result. So the good news First, and I want you to just listen for two words, two key words that get repeated over and over again as I read these verses. So another little quiz. I'm trying to keep you on your toes here this morning. All right, starting in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What are the two key words that get repeated over and over? Law and faith. Law and faith. There are some other words that are repeated as well, but those are the ones that are repeated the, the most here. There's this contrast between law and faith. And verse 28 summarizes the dichotomy between law and faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Martin Luther famously inserted the word alone in his translation of this verse so that it read, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. And I think that's a a justifiable insertion there. It's where we get the phrase sola fide. There are five solas from the Reformation period. Sola fide, faith alone. This is the gospel. And believing the gospel shapes our behavior. Believing the gospel mentally is gonna shape and transform our behavior in three ways, which which gets explained in these verses in this format of an imaginary dialogue. It's kind of like a question and answer. Paul is like got an imaginary friend that he's talking to and they're asking the questions and then he's answering them. The first change in behavior is this. No boasting, but rather humility. We see that in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. All right, so unpacking this just a little bit. The word boasting is pretty self-explanatory. It's expressing pride in ourselves 
and our accomplishments. So it, Paul says that boasting is excluded. The word excluded, the Greek word there means literally to shut out. So to shut something out. We're shutting out boasting. So what this made me think of is that when my son was younger and, and still living at home and smaller, um, sometimes we would be playing outside and, and doing something and I would get on his case somehow and he would get mad at me and chase me. And so I would run in the house and then I would push the door, I'd like try to get the door shut so that he couldn't get in. And then he would get there often before I got the door shut. And so I'm on one side of the door trying to keep him out and he's on the other side of the door trying to push his way in. So I'm trying to shut him out. As he got older, this has gotten harder and we don't play that anymore. So, but when he was younger, you know, I'm trying to shut him out. That's the idea here. And Paul asked a question like, what, what kind of leverage do we have to shut out boasting? If you have a tendency to boast in your life, to boast about your accomplishments, or to boast about your spiritual accomplishments. Maybe, it's, maybe you don't even express it verbally, but in your head, you're like, yeah, I'm doing pretty well compared to so-and-so over here. If you have that tendency, how do we shut that out? How do we push it out? What leverage do we have? Well, Paul says, by what kind of law do we exclude? Do we shut out this boasting? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So we, we would have a hard time pushing out boasting by a law of works, because if we're doing okay, if we're following a law of works and, and we feel like we're doing pretty well, then, then we're going to be inclined to boast about that. I mean, this law of works brings to mind the law of Moses, so, which would have been paramount on Paul's mind. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I like, I like to forget numbers. Um, I'm, in, I'm in that now, reading. But, um, but so it brings to mind the law of Moses, but it's actually a broader law, just this broader idea of working to be right with God, that it's our efforts. And, and Paul says, it's not that. It is the law of faith. The law of faith is what gives us the leverage to shut out the, the boasting. Verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So being made right with God comes as a gift, not as a result of our effort. So all the fodder for boasting is taken away. There is no basis for us to boast because we can't do anything to earn it. So here's what this looks like in everyday life. On those days when life is going well and everything's clicking, hopefully you have one of those days once in a while. I have those, those once in a while. One, the, those days where you might be tempted to think, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm God's gift to my workplace, God's gift to my spouse, God's gift to my, parent, my children, you know. Um, I may be doing really well in my spiritual pursuit of God, what we need to do is pause and call to mind that my standing before God is not based on my performance. That God isn't concerned that I'm having a great 
day. He's not like, wow, good, finally. <laughs> this is actually, and it's equally important, so it's important on the days when it's clicking, it's equally important on the days when it's not clicking. Because there are some days, and it's like, man, I'm so glad on those days that it's not my performance that pleases God. I had a day like that, man, in the last couple of weeks, and I said to a friend, do you ever feel like you're trying to run in chest-deep molasses? And it's like, it's just like I just couldn't get anything done. Everything took like three or four times as long. I was feeling tempted in different ways. I'm just like, man, what, a, what an awful day. I'm so glad on days like that that it's not my performance that earns my way into God's favor. The law of faith says that rather than boasting about what I've done, I'm gonna be grateful for what God has done. So that's the first way that the gospel shapes, reshapes our behavior. The second way that we see here is no division but unity. Verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. If the path to being right with God were by, through the law of works, then Jews would have an advantage because they were the ones that were given the law. One of the commentaries I'm reading is by Douglas Moo. He says this, if justification, or being made right with God, is by works of the law, then only those in the law can be justified and God becomes the God of Jews only. But since being made right with God is not based on law but faith, it's open to everybody. There was likely this, there was some tension, I'm sure, in Paul's audience there in Rome because we know there was a strong Jewish community there. So we had some Jewish background believers in this church. And then we probably have more Gentiles because there were, there were more Gentiles there in, in Rome. And so there's this in, inborn kind of tension, long-standing tension between Jews and non-Jews. Jews felt like they, I mean, they separated themselves from, from Gentiles. And Steve reminded us of this a few weeks ago. He was looking back to, if you're here in the summer, we were looking at David and Goliath. And David, as an insult, was, was talking about Goliath, and he said, um, he called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. He's not just a Philistine. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. There's this separation. Like, they are, they are not people of the law, and we're people of the law, and we're people of the covenant. And, and so that was a, a huge insult uh, for, for the Jews to say that someone was uncircumcised. They're thinking of them as pagan. They're thinking of them as heathen. And Paul says that division now is done away with. The division is no longer about the law. It's no longer about your practices. It's no longer about circumcision, uncircumcision. And he throws the knockout punch for his argument in verse 30 which is easy for us to miss, since most of us are not Jewish. He says, since God is one, 
He is referring back to Deuteronomy 6.4 and a prayer that observant Jews have prayed every day and continue to pray. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. If you were here last week for the the child dedication, we read that that verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. That prayer is called the Shema because Shema means hear. And so the first word is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one, Yahweh is one. This was Judaism's great contribution to all of history was monotheism. Prior to to God revealing himself to be one God, there were, you know, look back to Egypt. I mean, there was the God of the Nile. There was God of war. There's gods of fertility. There's all these gods that you're trying to make happy so that they will do what we hope they will do for, for us. And into all of that polytheism, the true God spoke and said, no, there's only one God, and he revealed himself that way to the Jewish people. And so they, that's their tremendous contribution. And so they have a history of, of saying, we've we, we understand what God is really like, and the rest of you don't. So it's natural that there would be this tension. And Paul says there's only one God, not a God of Jews, and then a God of Gentiles. And so the criteria for everyone, because there's only one God, the criteria to get to that one God is the same for everyone. Which, by the way, this flies in the face of our culture, who says, well, there's one God, but there's all these different paths that lead to God. Shouldn't surprise us as we continue through Romans, there's lots of ways that Romans flies in the face of our culture, but this is a, this is a key one. There, there aren't multiple paths to God. and there, I mean, this is how our culture tries to reconcile. Like, oh no, there's not multiple gods, there's just one God, but there's just all these different paths. But no, there's, there's only one path. Paul says, and that is faith in Jesus. We saw that last week at the end of our passage last week in uh, chapter three, verse 26. God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If So here's what this means for us. If faith is the path to being right with God, not works of the law, not our efforts, then that means there is no dividing wall between you and someone else who shares faith in Jesus, even if their practice of their faith is different from yours. Okay, I'm at risk to get myself in trouble as we talk about this, but, but let's, I mean, this is what this passage is telling us. There are different ways that people practice and live out their faith. For example, there are different ways to practice baptism. So some of you grew up in churches, no doubt, that did sprinkling for, for baptism. Some of you grew up probably in churches where infants were baptized, So we don't practice baptism that way here. We say you may be baptized when you yourself are old enough to have an understanding of your need for a savior and you call on Jesus to be your savior and then 
then we immerse you. We have a tank right under here where we immerse you. We're gonna be doing that uh, not too long from now. We've got some people that are, are ready to do that, and if you're ready to do that, please let us know. But so we immerse, and we do that because we believe, we understand that the, the word baptize means to, to submerge and to immerse. Now, I'm gonna say that for, for those who practice baptism differently, the sprinkling, even the child baptism, there are theological reasons, there are biblical reasons even, that those people give for saying, we're doing it a different way. And so what I would say to us is, it's okay. We don't have to set ourselves up against those people. I don't have time to go into the child. The, the child baptism is really interesting to see the, the thinking behind that, but it's a biblical, it's a solid biblical reason. And so we don't have to separate ourselves or look down on those people or feel like there's some kind of division as long as their faith ultimately is in Christ for salvation. There's different ways to practice communion. There's different ways to practice worship, different kinds of songs to sing, different kinds of instrumentation. There's all kinds of different ways, but the dividing wall is, is down if Christ is the center, just like the dividing wall for Paul here if circumcision was down. He's very clear about that in verse 30. Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. It's not an outward act, which is where this, this comes into to baptism. It's not an outward act that God justifies us by. It's by faith. And so whatever outward act you practice, Christ is the one that brings us together. See, Jesus... It's not that there is no dividing wall, okay? So let's be clear about that. Jesus is the dividing wall. Those who are placing their faith in Christ and those who are, are not. I mean, we don't agree with everyone about everything because what we hold to about Jesus is that Jesus came as God in the flesh because only God could achieve a sacrifice that would cover the sins of billions of people throughout all of history. Only God could achieve that. No, not just a special person. So we, we believe that Jesus is God come in the flesh, crucified for real, in contrast to Muslims, for example, who believe that Jesus really didn't die, but that Jesus died and then he rose again and received the, the approval stamp of God the Father for his sacrifice by rising again. Those are the core things that we believe. And so when someone else doesn't believe that, then we say, okay, we've got some, some conversations to have. You know, we wanna find some common ground, we wanna share with them, here's what we understand from the scripture to be true. But if we agree on those things, then there's no need to keep our, our distance or to try to change somebody else. Augustine said this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Believing the gospel shapes our behavior. So it does it in three ways. No boasting but humility. No division but unity. And then thirdly, no license 
but a respect for the law. Our last verse here, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So some of Paul's Jewish listeners were probably getting nervous as they're hearing this letter being read. They're they're thinking, all my life, I have been taught to obey and reverence the law. And here you are now, you're putting all this emphasis on faith. I mean, do we just throw the law out? I mean, are we, I mean, he uses the word overthrown. Are we nullifying the law now? Um, Paul, isn't what you're saying going to lead people to say, well, hey, if we don't have to live by the law anymore, then I'm just gonna do what I want. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give myself license to, to do, live how, however I want. And then the result is gonna be lawlessness. Well, there's a very strong response to that question in verse 31, by no means. The, the Greek is meganoito, and I, I point that out because we're gonna see it six times. Actually, we've seen it already, but we're gonna see it a total of six times in this letter, and every time it shows up, it is the strongest countering possible to say whatever's just been said, no way. Uh, you could say absolutely not. Far be it, uh, you could even go so far as to say, God forbid. So he says, are we overthrowing the law by this faith? Absolutely not. We're not overthrowing the law, we're gonna uphold it. And in saying this, he's echoing Jesus from Matthew 5, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So how do they fit together? I mean, if, we, if we're not trying to get right with God by obeying the law anymore, then what, what do we do with it? Keep, keep in mind, I'm get, I wanna give you four reasons why the law is still helpful to us. And remember that as Paul is, is talking about this faith versus law issue, Paul himself was trained as a Pharisee who, I mean, they held the law in highest regard. He would have had it memorized, top of mind. I mean, they valued the law like nobody else. But here's here's four reasons why we should value the law too. And I I give uh, credit to F.F. Bruce for for these, and I'll try to work through these uh, pretty quickly here. But the first one is that the law is a revelation of God's character and will. So, so the, again, the first five books of the Old Testament are specifically known as the Law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In my one-year Bible reading, every year I, I read through the Bible, and I just finished Leviticus this week and moving into Numbers. I'm not sure which one I like less, but Leviticus. I was in Leviticus this week, and, and Leviticus is really helpful in, in this. Like, I got to this part this, this week where it was talking about the priests. Well, first of all, let me say this. Let me say this before I go into this. I, I hope you understand, and I didn't understand this for many, many years of my, my faith journey. You and I are not under that law. We, we do not obey that law. The law, the first five books of the Old Testament were given to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. 
So there really doesn't need to be a lot of conversation about do we, do we obey this part, do we obey the Ten Commandments, and we don't obey the stuff that's all about the temple and the tabernacle, and, and then there's this stuff about the mildew and stuff like that. None of that, none of that applies to us. It was all given to the Jewish people. But, but here's what we're talking about is there's still value in studying it. So we don't just say, well, we don't need to read that anymore or understand anything from it. Here, I'm explaining to you what the value of it is. But the value of it is not, oh, we gotta figure out how to do this and now I gotta go to some, I, you gotta come to me to check on mildew on your clothes or something like that. Please, don't, don't do that. I'm not interested. So anyway, the... When I was in Leviticus this week, it was interesting because I was, I was reading about the priests and there was this criteria about the priests that said that no, no one may serve as a priest. So priests are born into that family to be able to serve as a priest, but no one can serve as a priest if they have a defect, if, if their hand you know, is mauled or if their foot doesn't work or if they have a disfiguration of some kind. And I read that and I thought, that's really odd. Like, God, I thought you loved everybody and you look at the heart and, I mean, what does, difference does it make if somebody's body is messed up in, in some way? And then I remembered that those priests for the Jewish people were a, a picture and a foreshadowing of the high priest who is to come, who is Jesus. And so, God wanted those priests to reflect a measure of perfection and wholeness because there was one coming who would be absolutely perfect and had to be perfect so that he himself would be a sacrifice. And so these are the sorts of things that we can learn from the law, even though we're not under it. I mean, the law is it's a reflection of God's perfection, so anyway, I'm not gonna spend this much time on all four of these points. All right, the second point is that the law promotes health and the preservation of the human race. So remember that this law was given to the Jewish people who are coming out of slavery. In Egypt, they haven't known how to live as a society. They haven't had the option to figure out how to live together. So this is instructing them, here's how you live and thrive. Thirdly, it brings, the law brings sin to light and leads people to reliance on grace. So the law shows us how not right with God we are and causes us to realize, God, I need to come to you for grace and forgiveness because it reveals his perfection and how far short we fall. And then lastly, the, the fourth is that it provides guidance for the believer's life. So similar to number two, but number two is more about um, community and, and a society working well together. Four, number four is really for us individually. There are things that we can learn and it provides guidance for us. The, the law is not worthless to us. It's just not the way to be right with God. And it never has been the way to be right with God. It wasn't even at that time. And we're gonna discover that uh, next week as we move into chapter four. The path to being right with God has always been by faith. We'll see that all the way back to the life of Abraham next week. When you and I really believe the gospel, it's gonna shape our behavior. So probably... 
one of these areas is, is more of a challenge for you than, than the rest. Um, maybe boasting is, is you're, you're predisposed to that. Uh, maybe you're prone to, towards division, where you're just like, kind of like, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm doing better than so-and-so over here, or I've got to isolate myself from them because they practice a little differently than, than I do. Or maybe your predisposition is to license. Maybe, maybe you a, a, tend to be a rule snubber, a rule breaker, and you're just like, yeah, I just, I just want to do what I want to do. The, the solution for whatever it is that you're struggling with here is the gospel. It, it is coming to God, recognizing that at the end of the day, it's not my efforts that get me right with you. Um, it is by grace through faith. So whatever one of those areas that you struggle with, I would encourage you to just review the verses that apply to that. So if you struggle with the division and dividing yourself, then I would just go to verses 29 and 30 and just kind of let those begin to renew your mind. We're gonna see later in Romans that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, by thinking differently, by thinking the way God thinks. So just go back to these verses and, and say, this is how God thinks. God, I wanna think the way you think. See, see, the gospel is not just a belief that we sign on to, and then there's no change in our lives. It's, it's not, the gospel is not a ticket to heaven when we die. The gospel is a ticket to life that begins right now. And so living things grow, they change, they progress. So get your ticket punched and let's get growing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making salvation accessible to us. Thank you for making it accessible to us to be right in your, in your eyes. Not by our own efforts because we are hopelessly inconsistent and sometimes we are an absolute train wreck. And so thank you, Lord, for making righteousness available to us through faith in Christ. And then as we enter into the life that comes from that realization, it, it empowers us to actually live better and to be more obedient to you than if we were trying it in our own strength. So Lord, we are we're grateful. Um, Lord, and we also even recognize that the faith itself to trust in you is a gift from you. Lord, would you strengthen that faith in our hearts for those who already know you, for someone who, who is here this morning who, who hasn't ever fully put their trust in Christ. They're still trying to earn their way to you. Lord, I pray that today would be their day. Would you strengthen their faith and cause them to, to trust fully in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.